0: Um, I think that's what you're going to I think that's what are to and if you open
1: your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter
0: 4,
1: Philippians chapter 4, we're going to respond to
0: you'll probably notice
1: that we skipped the passage. So we finished up Philippians chapter 3 last week, and you should be in Philippians 1, 2, and 3 this week. What we're going to do is we're going to stay down for a couple of weeks from now, uh, and when we get to, so every year on All Saints Sunday, which is the Sunday after Reformation Day, more commonly referred to as Halloween, uh, on All Saints Sunday, I usually do sort of this sermon where I kind of mix, uh, a biography of a, of a person from church history with, uh, scripture and kind of use that person's life as an illustration into that scripture. Uh, this year we're going to be talking about, um, one of my, my favorite contemporary Christian authors and theologians, J.I. Packard. Uh, who passed away just in the last couple of years, and, uh, but we're going to be zooming in on a specific instance of his life that has to do with what's going on in verse one through three, and that has to do with personal conflict within the church. So we're going to look at J.R. Packer's life and some specific, uh, specific situation in his life that became kind of a bigger issue because of the personalities that are involved. we talk about these ideas and sort of what do we do when Christians disagree on things. Um, uh, genuine Christ-centered believers. Um, when they come to an issue, they disagree on how we should proceed and work through those things. So we're going to sort of look at his life and the situation that arose there uh, in a couple of weeks. So what we're going to do in the meantime is continue to move forward. So tonight we're in Philippians 4, 4-7. Four uh, so Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is paying. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A fill of prayer. Father God, again we come to um, your word, thanking you for your word, thanking you for this Lord's Day that we get to come together to open your word together, to study it together, um, to see what you would have to say, uh, not only to us individually, but God, to this this Lord's Day specifically um, to us as the congregation in in our congregational context. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this. Uh, objective source that we come to, that you have spoken to us and to your church through the centuries by your word, uh, that as we open your word, we see who you are, we see who we are, we see the plight that we find, find ourselves in because of our sin, we see the solution that you have provided to the person of your son, God, we see the life that we have called been called to uh, in light of the saving work of your son, that we see... The history of the way you are working out the story, the story about Jesus Christ and his salvation throughout the millennium. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that we've had it and that we can read it and we can grow and connect to you by it. Because at the end of the day, God, that's, that's what we're most interested in. Uh, we want to know you better. We want to be connected to you. Um, we want to experience your presence in our lives as we go. Throughout our days, so uh, we thank you for your word, God. As we open it, as we read it, as we study it together, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, shine a light on this text, shine a light on the recesses of our hearts, God. That your Spirit would mediate between us, uh, things that that He would speak the truth of your Word into our hearts, that He would reveal the places that we keep hidden, that He would fan to flame. Um, the spark of, of faith and, and obedience uh, in our own lives and that it be fanned into a mighty flame. Um, God, that you would use this as the time that conforms us more truly and completely to the image of your Son. Father, uh, we thank you for uh, all the churches of Blount County that have preached your word this Thursday. We ask that you would bless those congregations, bless the ministry of uh, gospel preaching that is going now. That even in our own time, Lord, that you bring revival to our communities. And people would hear the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us, the love that he has for us, the salvation that he has provided for us. God, that we would share that with each other, and our, our friends, our neighbors, and our co-workers, our, our schoolmates. God, we would share that uh, individually, but also, God, that our congregations would be um, embassies, uh, that they would be um platforms by which we speak the gospel to the world, that uh, they would be our soapboxes that we would be here uh, and, and speak uh, the true gospel so that people could hear it um, and know it and be saved. Father, help us to do that in our churches and that you would use that ministry um to draw people to yourself. Um God that we would see a great revival um in our own time. That's what we ask. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we come to uh, this this section, and I think it's a timeless section. Um, if, if, uh, many of you were not here last week, and I was kidding of on the fall break weekend, but you may or may not have heard is that last Sunday morning, Greg um, Long at Mother Church uh, announced he retired. So he uh, announced that he would be retiring, that his final Sunday would be December 31st of this year. Um, this, in fact, just in a couple of weeks, it marks his 30th year of ministry at Pleasant Grove. So it's sort of a good round number. Um, and and he has, we knew it was coming, right? We've known for a couple of years that he's sort of moving towards that, but now he's officially um, announced that. And so, of course, as he announced that, uh, many of you, uh, many people who've come to me and said, yeah, I'm ask, like, what does that mean for us? Um, what does that decision mean for college students? What does it change? What does it affect? What does it put on the table? Um, and the immediate answer is, we don't know. Okay? Um, those things will still work themselves out over the next coming weeks and months and stuff like that. Again, not a decision that took us completely by surprise because we knew it was coming. In fact, we've talked about it. the fact that it was coming over the last few years. Um, but, but the fact that it's actually here now um, is, as we said last week, it's sort of like the die has been cast now. And so um, it's here. And obviously, that has perhaps um, been a source of anxiety for some people, even over the last week where they've just sort of been like, so what's going to happen? Like, what, what are we going to do? And, and what is that? What do all these things mean? Um, I'll bet the case is is that most of us would probably agree that when it comes to news, uh, we would rather know bad news than not know any news at all. Does that make sense? Like bad news that we know about is sort of better than wondering. Uh, the fact of being in that sort of moment where it's sort of like, you know, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. And I just want to know, I'd rather, even if it was bad news, I'd rather just know it and then I could just do it and start working towards it. Um, it, as, as Saint Thomas Pay of Gainesville, uh, once said, the waiting is the hardest part and it is, right? You just sit there and you go, Man, I am I don't know what to do until I have this information that has come, right? So that, I think, makes this passage all the more timely. I think this passage is speaking almost directly into our situation because of the way it ends. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So among the many oft-quoted verses in the book of Philippians, this one is concept of peace that passes all understanding. I think it's probably one of the most well-known passages and concepts, right? You hear, when you listen to Christian people talk about Christ in the church and things like that, we hear people use the phrase, the peace that passes all understanding pretty often. I think it's because it speaks to something that is at the core of what is most central about what every single one of us wants. And that is, we all ultimately want peace. The Bible is talking about peace a lot, right? This idea that we can even go back to the Old Testament and talk about this concept of shalom, right? This true, complete peace of being at one with God and, and his world. We want to settle peace. We want to get safe. We want to get secure. We want to know that everything is going to be all right, ultimately. In fact, and moreover, that no matter what, everything is going to be all right. That's how we want to feel. Now, think about this. Paul is in the same kind of situation in this chapter. We've talked about it over and over again in the book of Philippians. Remember, Paul is in the midst of suffering. He is under house arrest, awaiting trial, possibly for his life at this moment. The Philippians, as we've read, have suffered too. They've shared in different ways of the suffering of Paul has um, because of their following Jesus Christ. There is much uncertainty in Philippi and for Paul. There is much anxiousness about the future and how things are going to work out. That's the context of the letter to Philippians. And so how does Paul advise If we are in a different situation and yet one that is also fraught with anxiousness, what does he commend to them so that they can have the peace that passes all understanding? Okay, let's look at three things that he talks about this passage. There's a weirdness to these kind of passages. You see this a lot of times at at the end of Paul's letters where it feels like he's just sort of going like, like he's shooting these, they don't seem connected at first. It seems like he's just shooting these one-liners out, but they are connected. Uh away. We're going to see that. So the first thing he says is this what do you what should you people do in the midst of your anxiousness? How will you achieve this peace of Pentecost all understanding? Number one, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Have you noticed something? Maybe some of you obviously have not been with us for the for the whole Philippians study, but have you noticed how Paul talks about joy and rejoicing? Throughout the book of Philippians, he's talking about it at least once every single chapter. In chapter 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Always offering prayer with joy. That is, with rejoicing in every part, in every prayer for you all.
2: He goes on in
1: chapter 1, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and journey in the faith. Chapter 2, that even if I am being poured out as a dream offering, Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Chapter three, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's, it's, it's a little book, guys. Okay, it's still like four chapters long. It's not much to it. And he keeps on saying, hey, church is Philippi, I know that you're anxious about things that are going on, but rejoice, rejoice. Here in in chapter four, the most emphatic of all the references. Again, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Trial, uncertainty, opposition, persecution—in all these, what do we do? Rejoice. A life that has been changed by the gospel should be marked by certain things, the Bible tells And we can zoom in on any number of those things. Certainly love would be one, right? Certainly forgiveness would be one. Thanksgiving, which we're going to come back to in just a few minutes, should be one. But man, near the top of the list of things that should mark the gospel change of life, should we rejoice? Rejoicing should be one of the most central characteristics of the Christian life. How can we not rejoice given what has been accomplished for us in our salvation? How can we not rejoice knowing the gifts that are at our disposal through the Holy Spirit? How can we not rejoice knowing the inheritance that we have in eternity won for us by Jesus Christ? We're not supposed to be a depressed people. We're not supposed to be a dour people. But man, it seems like that a whole lot of times, doesn't it? Like that's just the attitude and the image that we give off to to the world, right? We're ticked off and we're down and we're just, that's the way we are. But if we do not express this joy and rejoicing he's talking about, it's likely because we're not paying attention to the things that the Bible says about the reality we find ourselves in either of the depths from which we have been saved or the heights to which we have been crossed. We're not paying attention. To discount our own need, the need that is a function because of our depravity, is to make little of the sacrifice of the cross, right? So if we sit there and go, you know, you yeah, know that Jesus saved me, but that's not that big deal because I'm not that bad. Right? You minimize the cross when you don't look to how big a problem you have. So that's a joy killing. When you are, when you discount your own need, when you think you didn't really need that much saving to get you by, I mean, that's a joy killing. Moreover, when we are out of some kind of skepticism or worldliness, we fail to believe the promises that God has made us. What is ours in Christ and what has come to us in The next life in the new heaven and the new earth, the things that God has promised us, when we discount those things, it is a joy thief. It steals our joy from us. We are unsettled people in an unsettled age. We talk about that in some of our small groups and stuff. And we just live in a crisis kind of age. Um, A new crisis this weekend, right? In terms of Israel and the things going on there. It just seems like every week we just got something new to be worried about, to be anxious about. And on, on a smaller personal level. Man it seems like Christians. Particularly Rome has been out of shape about something. We're just always. Something's going on that God's worked up. When in fact our blessings are so nice. And so pervasive. That really everything else. Should pale in comparison to. So that is to say. We don't minimize the importance of suffering, okay? So we're not making life a real suffering. Certainly the Bible would teach us that mourning, right? In certain contexts, it's totally appropriate in its season. But also, we don't minimize suffering. But at the same time, we maximize the reality of our blessing. And the subsequent rejoicing is you should come from that blessing. So Paul says, Rejoice. You might say that the first step towards that peace that we're talking about is recognizing and rejoicing over the incredible position that we find ourselves in. You want to be at peace? You want to have that peace that passes all understanding? Rejoice in who Christ is. Rejoice in what Christ has done. Rejoice in the fact that you were something and now you are something else. That you were headed one direction. Now you're heading a different direction that you knew nothing of the one true God, and now you are a child of the one true God. That's how we begin to have this peace that passes all understanding. All right, so that's one thing. Also, he continues in verse five. Our anxiety is also affected by the fact that we are so focused on ourselves in so many things. Look what Paul says in verse five. He said, Let your reasonableness Be known to everyone. Now, your translation may or may not say reasonableness. The ESV translates that word reasonableness, which I think, I didn't go through all the translations, but I think it's the only version that uses that word for in the translation. Uh, Gentleness is a more common translation. Forbearance, considerateness, even graciousness is sometimes used. So, what's the idea that's trying to be gotten at there? These sort of words that are not, they're, they're, they're the same family, but they don't exactly to often together. The idea that he's saying, let your reasonableness be known, it is the idea of the opposite of self-seeking, self-aggrandizing, self-important, self-promotion. That's what it is. Your reasonableness is you not thinking about yourself, okay, and graciously, gently, um, kindly, considerately, forbearingly engaging with the world around, you. which is what makes that passage so ironic. Okay, that maybe you noticed that. What should be the thing that everyone notices about you? That you're not putting yourself forward to be noticed. Sounds so weird that way, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Let your not being noticed be noticeable to everyone. I shared with you my inherited love that my my mom gave me for period English dramas. Okay, right? So Jane Austen and, and Dickens and more contemporary things like Downton Abbey and stuff. I love all that stuff, right? And here's one thing you notice when you watch all of those kind of things: there are servants in that world, right? These servants everywhere as you're watching stories about these upper crust people and their upper crust lives or whatever. But the job of a servant in that world was to be invisible. So they were supposed to be servants are always present in those stories as you're watching. They're always working, but their purpose is not to draw attention to themselves. And so you'll see these scenes where a family is maybe gathered for dinner and, or maybe a husband and wife are literally getting ready for bed in their bedroom. And then yet they're just these people like standing off to the side somewhere. And, and, and the family or the couple are having these intense personal and private conversations about life, the struggles and things going on in the plot of the story. And there's just like these random people like standing over in the corner and you want to say, man, how is it that you can have like, you can talk about these things and yet these people who are not part of that, you know, they're not your family, they're not whatever, they're standing right there right? Well, there's, you see a reason for that. The answer is they were meant to be not seen, right? It wasn't their job to say, you know what I mean? You know, I mean? you should go through this. That's not what they did. They sat, and, and every once in a while I will see a story where they are, you know, all of a sudden, out of, in the midst of this weird awkwardness, all of a sudden the servant will go, well, that be all the They'll say, yeah, you can go now, and they slip out or whatever. But um, the job of the servant was not to be noticed, and yet to serve the master. So when we talk about these things in these terms, our goal as Christians, in a sense, is that we do not be seen but that Jesus Christ would be seen through us. That Christ would shine through us. Stop seeking self-promotion. Stop building our own names, our own fame, our own platforms. I love the phrase I shared with you probably many times of of a a man named Count Sitzendorf. He was an 18th century Moravian bishop. He was a missionary pioneer who sort of One of these guys who was at the very beginning of the missions movement, taking the gospel through the world. And he had a famous sort of motto or phrase saying, and it was, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. What is the job of the Christian? Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. You might say, that rubs me the wrong way. Just a little bit. Actually, I don't know if I like the idea of being forgotten i going to go ahead and tell you you will be. So you should probably get used to it. And here's the reality. You'll probably be more at peace if you are. There's something about you that says, man, I wish I could be somebody. Whatever that means to you. And you'd probably have more peace if you were nobody. Now, again, what do I mean by that? You were nobody in the sense that it was Jesus Christ shining for you. Not you building yourself and being noticed and paying attention to it. Is there a tension in the Christian life here? Certainly there is. Because in a way, we can talk about leaving a legacy. That's something that we want to do, right? Um, the legacy of faithfulness, that's that's an appropriate idea for us as Christians, right? Certainly some people will be noticed specifically for their faithfulness, Right? Uh, there will be people who are faithful to Christ and they will end up getting noticed of famous people like J.I. mean, The very fact that we have this all-saints sermon every year where we say, there's this really faithful dude back in church history and we're going to talk about him a little bit. So there is a tension there. And I'm sure that every single person who is famous for Jesus' sake would say, I'm doing it all for Jesus. The reason why I'm famous is because I'm doing it all for Jesus. And I would just say to you, be careful. Because our hearts are deceitful above all things. And we might think that we are being, doing these things for Jesus Christ and yet our hearts are deceitful. Think about how this has already played into our passages previously. Consider how this idea contradicts that influencer character that we talked about last week. Or consider how it, it pushes against that platform building pastor. That we saw back in chapter one, the people who were willing and saying, I'm still going to preach the gospel, but I'm going to use Paul's situation to build my own ministry up and aggrandize myself. I'm going to use his hurt to help my ministry. He's still preaching the gospel, right? He's still preaching the truth, but yet he was using these things in, in an unworthy way. So much of our worry is because we focus in ourselves and our own plans and our own thoughts and our own desires. What does Paul say at the
0: end of that section?
1: He says, the Lord is at hand. I think that's a justification for his mindset. The Lord is at hand. And and he may mean that in one of two senses, whether he means it in the sense of the Lord is at hand, as then the end times are close and the second coming is close and time is short and you don't have any time to worry about building up your own platform and your own, you know, reputation and stuff like that. Those things don't matter anymore because Jesus is going to be back any second and maybe you don't want to be doing this when Jesus comes back, right? You don't want to be focusing on your own stuff when Jesus comes back. He may be meaning it that way or he may be saying, no, uh, when he says the Lord is in, he may be saying, "No, Christ is close to us. He is with us. He is near us, relationally, spiritually." And so, you know what? If Jesus was standing right here, which He is, do you think I could get up here and go, "Let me tell you about how awesome I am. Let me tell you about what I do. Let me tell you about my platform. Let me tell you about what I believe." Whatever. If Jesus is standing right here, it would just be an embarrassment, right, for me to put myself forward when the Lord of glory was standing right next to me. So I'm not sure exactly which way Paul is talking about it, but when he says, let your reasonableness know, be known to everybody. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He's close. He is near to us. He is coming. He is on his way. And we should be living a certain way in light of that. So again, as I've said before, at the end of the day, this isn't your story. It's not my story. It's not even our church's story completely. It's Christ's story. Uh, Your great-grandchildren will not know your name. That's a crazy idea. The most famous and influential theologian, politician, culture shaper of our day will barely be remembered in 50 years and almost not at all in 100. Unless you are just one of these once in a lifetime kind of people. But
0: goodness, faithfulness,
1: those are things that we do and we live in and we work towards in our lives. And we know that somebody may not remember my name in the future, but living that kind of life will change things here and now and for the future. So I'll share a quote that Christy and I have actually got framed on our wall, our house. It's from the author George Eliot, who, that's her fake name. It's a, it's a lady, but, but she wrote under the pseudonym of a man's name. Um, she wrote a classic book called Middlemarch. She, she says this, the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been. Is half owing to the number of people who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Reality is, is that the world will be better for us not putting ourselves forward to live faithful, quiet, unassuming lives, reasonable, forbearing, gracious, gentle lives. And the world will be a better place for that. And, and future generations will be changed by that and nobody will remember your name or visit your tomb. But Christ will you and you'll be with him in the So I would say live a forgettable life or probably a better way of saying it is live a life so that when people remember you, they remember Jesus. That would be the better way of saying it. Third. How to find this peace, the passage all understanding, verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So again, if we lack joy, if we lack self-forgetfulness, in those situations, anxiousness is nurtured in those places. And anxiousness is always a lack of trust in God at some level or maybe a better way to say it is it's probably over trust in ourselves. We're all anxious sometimes ladies I feel like you have a bigger problem with anxiousness than men do often times. It is your um regular sin, okay? Guys have got other issues, but but ladies man it seems like anxiousness is just it's, it's part of the way um, you're wired. But it's always a lack of trust in God sometimes. Or again, over trust in ourselves. Somehow feeling that we have to bear the burden of everything in some way. And, and we're miserable because of it. And any sane person, anybody who is self-aware at all, knows the fact that we are completely incapable of bearing all the things that we have to bear. We can't do it. We are incapable of that. And so instead of anxiousness, what does he call us to do? He says, man, turn your concerns over to God. It's not that there aren't things to be anxious over. There are real issues that could worry us and there's a way of combating anxiousness anxiousness by which we become super laid back and try to treat everything like it's insignificant. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Or we just sort of go, hey man, the way to fix all this stuff is just like not worry about it or whatever. It's not big deal or whatever. That's not the way to do it either. It treats everything as trivial. Or that it's beyond less than our concern or something. No, that's not what we're called to do. Let me suggest that's not how you fight anxiousness. It's not how you get to peace. We don't avoid anxiousness by deluding ourselves about seriousness of our problems. We deal with anxiety by handing those things over to God. And say, God, you're going to need to figure this out. You're going to need to work here. You're going to need to fix this because I can't. What does he say later in that passage? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there's there's that first word, prayer, which is sort of the more generic word for prayer. And then that second word could also just be translated prayer, but he uses the more nuanced word of supplication. Supplication has to do with, it's it's an asking of something or for something in particular, but it's almost like a begging. Right, It is the fact that you have a real urgent need that needs to be addressed and you are down on your knees saying, will you please do something about this? Here, as we often see in Scripture, it combines this idea of prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You have to have both of those together. And maybe the reason why is obvious to you already. But here's the thing. Whenever you pray, particularly when you ask God for something, that you supplicate. Is that a word may not. Um, but when you are praying in an act of supplication, there's always the danger of coming off as discontented, as presumptuous, as even covetous. Right? Have you ever felt that way You're still like, Then I'm asking God for something, but I almost feel like it's inappropriate for me to ask him. I should be thankful for what I have. I should be content with the situation that I find myself in and the way that he has provided for me. God, I don't like the way things are, and I want them to change, but maybe feel a little weird about that. I talk to people sometimes who... When walking through the balance of seeking, hoping, praying for something to be the case, for better circumstances, for jobs, for relationships, for opportunities, while at the same time, not being ungrateful for the ways that God has already worked. Like I felt that way about UPS my entire life, right? Like I'm like, man, it is an unmitigated blessing that God has provided for me through UPS. And I wake up every morning wishing I didn't have to go there. Right? Okay? That's a weird thing to say. Like, how do you thank God for one thing and at the same time say, gosh, I didn't have to go? You know how you do that? You supplicate. You get on your knees and you ask God for things. And at the same time, you balance that with thanksgiving. And you say, God, I'm so thankful for the things that you've already given me. And I'm asking that you would do these other things in my life, not because I'm grateful not because I'm covetous, but because there's this real need and I'm asking that you would provide as my Heavenly Father. So, solution pairing Thanksgiving with prayer. So, that's Paul's advice to us. You want to find a peace past on understanding? Rejoice. Stop putting yourself forward is the thing that is most important. And instead of being anxious, give all of that to God in prayer and thanksgiving. Even in the midst of Paul's trials and its potential outcome, he can still, he cannot help but rejoice. Rejoice in trial is right for us because of the grace and blessing of God and the side. because also we know that it's edifying, right? As we go through difficult times, God uses those difficult times to grow us. Paul oh, is self-effacingly gentle, he's, he is reasonable, his reasonableness is his only right for an ambassador of the king. How can an ambassador go and promote himself before a world? He's not there for that. He's there to represent his sovereign. He has no interest in promoting himself, but only being faithful to the task which he's given to. Him. And while, yes, trial is real, and it will have important consequences, he's not worried about those consequences, even though they could literally be dire. But instead, he hands those things over to God. He thanks God for what he has already done. He asks God to work all things for the good according to his perfect will. And he trusts those things to God. So what I would say to you is this. Those are exactly the things that we should do at street. That's what we should do when it comes to all of these things. What the future will hold, what our connection to the mother church will be, uh, what will all those things, I don't know yet. We'll see what happens. You know what we should do? We should rejoice in the Lord, that he has saved us. He's going to take care of us. We can trust him in, in everything. Um, we should probably be a little less concerned about ourselves. Right? Right? Um, as individuals, also in a sense of the congregation. Again, we can get goofy with that. I'm not. I'm not trying to say we don't need to think about important things. But there's a sense in which we go, man. I got to get mine, right? I got to figure that. That's not uh, the Lord's going to take care of those things. And and what we most want to be seen for is that Christ is shining through us in all contexts. And then again, lastly, are you worried about these things? Are you worried about anything? Give it to God. Hand it over to him in prayer in thanksgiving, and and let things work out according to his perfect will. So that's what that's. Man, I don't know about you, right? When I came to this passage um, after last week's announcement, I just thought, man, it could have been any more perfect. And you know what? If I decided to preach. Um, uh, Chapter verses one through three this week, which would have been order. I've already decided not to, but it would have been really weird because it's about conflict. And I was like, that would have been encouraging, like that would have been like that would have given me the opposite message or whatever. Um that's not the case. And so we were gonna skip that passage and here we come to the piece that passes all understanding. I'll bet many of you don't have the piece that passes all understanding this week because of things that are out of the air. And that's just fulfilling on your church. I know you've got all these, own, your own things in your own lives and your own situations. So all those things are, um, super important in your own lives, but I think the principles would still say the same. Rejoice. Let Christ shine through you. Offer everything to God in prayer and thanksgiving. Amen. Let's go more prayer. Ask that he would continue to work in our lives these ways. Ask that he would continue, um, to, to bless and to, I want you to ask him for these things, but also we know he's already going to take them. God's going to work these things out. They're going to work out of the way that he sees fit. I'll have a seat come up and then he'll close us in, in worship. Father God, we thank you for, again, at this time for the chance to open your word. God, we thank you for the timely providential way in which your word speaks to us. As we um, come to these, these, these challenges and, and anxieties, these unexpected things. But we know that you are working. We know that you are a blessing. We know that you have a plan. Um, God, you have known the way these events would play out since the foundation of the world. And while they may not have been the most central thing in the history of your um, unfolding of your plan, we still offer them to you as, as very significant to us, as those who are living through, that we don't make light of them Um, God, we want you to work in our church. We want you to work in us uh, as individuals, as a body. Um, God, we just ask for your blessing and care. Um, We know that you will do that. We know that you will provide. Father, we thank you. We praise you.
0: We ask these things that you will do. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank oh. um,
1: That was a great song to end it. Also, Rachel
0: would like to come up and, and uh, say something. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know you just preached a sermon on being unnoticed and not remembered, but we're going to notice you for a second. Um, because, like, yeah, Sorry. But, um, like you said, we live a life uh, where people remember us, they remember Christ. I think that you did that very well. So on this pastor appreciation Sunday um, we have some things for you. First of all, cool. i not <laughs> 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 so-
1: um, I don't know if I want to have those anymore because of their prize first how long they live or else. But, but, yeah. <laughs> but she loves it. Now you don't
0: know. I know. <laughs> um, they have a card for you. You can read that one. You can read that one.
2: Sure. Um, And also, gift cards for the whole family so you can see and meet together as a family. And also a check that will go towards your Israel trip. I don't know if anything's going to change with that, but it's awesome. It's awesome. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. I love you guys. Um, I am excited about the future of our church, uh, whatever that looks like so' uh, glad to have you guys do this thing with me and you walk this journey with me and uh, I love you love being your pastor. I said it last year, I think, and it just sounds corny but and i didn't I didn't know how much i i like being your pastor um I love you people um like sometimes I think to myself I was like, well what if All of these people weren't here. Would you continue to be a pastor, Ash? Sometimes I go, I don't know. But I love these people and I want to be their pastor. I don't know if that's what that means. Right? Um, But but I love you guys and thank you. Um, uh,
0: Thank you. Well...
1: um, yeah, be in prayer. Give all this stuff to God in prayer. Um I, I've talked about it in this meeting. So things like places like that. Like a lot of times we get a whole lot of people worrying and, but we're not praying about it. We're not offering these things to God in prayer. So let's do that. Pray that God would work and lead and, and do what God's going to do. Thank you. I'm um, here in this benediction you know, The Lord bless you. Can make space shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you. Make peace. We'll
0: Thanks.